Hi, John. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for joining. Much appreciated. Thank um, you. And uh, apologies for my casual attire. I'm in venture capital these days, and this is the new corporate uniform. Fantastic. You look fine. Chris, um, let's, let's, let's talk about your career. You sold your business, and then you, uh, you sold it to Vocus, and then you joined Vocus. And you were running the um, Vocus yep. old technology. And, and then we bought MCOM. And can you just give us the color about going from Vocus to MCOM, please? Yeah, well, so, so Vocus was you know, very much its own, its own business. It, whilst it had done some acquisitions, they were things like data centers. So they didn't come with you know, great numbers of people or great amounts of, of technology. We still had an emerging technology stack ourselves. We were a young business, so we didn't have the same sort of you know, technical maturity that a business like MCOM uh, had. But we were, we'd recognized this um, some time ago when we'd put in a system called ServiceNow and we were building our own um, bespoke system just to meet our needs called, called Vocus One. And that was um, you know, well on its way, but very much a, a work in, in progress. Um, when we came into Amcom, that's a very mature business. They've been around for a long time. Their systems were, were really attuned to what they do and they, they were very good and people love them. Um, the problem was it was an aging technology stack, and and the and the Amcom executive were looking at you know rebuilding um, you know their entire system. So we recognised they had something great, but it was kind of at the end of its life. And so we tried to you know take all the learnings from that. The, the vision was to take all the learnings from that, all the greatness from from what Amcom had, and then build that into Focus One, which was being you know built on all the latest um, the latest technology. So. Um, one of my colleagues, Simon Robson, likened it to um, flying an aeroplane while you're building it. Um, you know, and because we were we were building Vocus One, but also merging customers uh, into the one system and and, and operational um, uh, uh, controls and so forth. We we're moving that all into into Vocus One as we were, you know, cutting the code for the for it. So it was um, it was quite an ambitious um, ambitious project, but um, you know that's what we were like at Focus. And how was it going, MCOM merger? Look, at a technology level, it was it was going well. The, um, I mean that that that, uh, um, that system level was was probably the biggest stumbling block. The people um, side was going quite well. Obviously, that you know you in any in, in any merger like this, you get some people who get on the bus and some people who don't want to get on the bus. But by and large, it went very well. And, and I sort of inherited some fantastic people um, in my team, which was great. Um, but the yeah, the billing system, Vocus One, was a challenge, um, but it was going pretty pretty well. Uh, you know, not without its uh, ups and downs, but overall, we were, we were getting there. That's like any, any new system, ups and downs. Absolutely, yeah. And then we go along and we buy M2. So can you tell us what happened there? So with M2, it was largely a retail business. Um, they had their, um, uh, the Dodo brand and the iPyramus brand um, and a bunch, of, a, lot of, a bunch of other brands. We had, um, they had done many acquisitions over time and the, and the former CTO there had done a, a lot of great work on consolidating all of those systems um, into a smaller number. But even when they came to us, there were still 10. So in terms of things coming into my headspace, that it just exploded. We now had more networks, more billing systems. But fortunately, we had a team of people that was already working through um, migrating a lot of those uh, re retail billing systems into a, a, a smaller number. 
Um, but there was an element of corporate and government uh, business that was done in M2 that had to now also fit into uh, the Vocus One system. And, and that, I think, proved, um, you know, really quite challenging given it wasn't a, it wasn't a big a big customer base. It wasn't a huge amount of money. It was enough to enough to worry about. And we possibly mistakenly thought that we need to just consolidate everything into the one system and we should just be bold and get it done. Perhaps with the benefit of hindsight, we should have left those those corporate and government customers where they were on M2 systems, you know, for a time and, and let the Vocus One mature a bit more. But for one reason or another, we decided, um, you know, not to do that. And I think that really added a lot of pressure and additional complexity to the to the team, which really sort of slowed focus one down in in my view. How was Jeff with all of this? Um, Jeff, so even even when I had my handover with the former CTO, it was made pretty clear to me that Jeff didn't really like doing billing migrations um, because every time you touch a customer's invoice, you risk upsetting them. Even even changing the format of the on the on the piece of paper um, was enough. He felt to um, cause a customer to potentially re-query what they were doing and, and buy something else, or, or, or cancel their service, or, or make some sort of change. Um, and so he felt that there was a great risk to revenue in doing anything with billing. So um, that process um, occurred diligently within within M two, but it kind of like one foot on the brake, um, and. Then when we had uh, when it came to me, there were still ten billing systems that needed to be consolidated into three. So all the corporate and government was going to stay in Vocus One. Dodo was sufficiently big that it deserved its own system, and it had some fairly bespoke requirements. And then all of the consumer billing was going to go into a system called Ninja. Unfortunately, Jeff was never a fan of the product that sat behind Ninja or the the strategy around Ninja. So. You know, there was never a lot of support for continuing to do that, but we just pressed on and and, and did it did it anyway. But it, it was made clear to me, you know, by Jeff that he he very much questioned the the validity of that that project. He really wasn't wasn't behind it. But my mindset was always simplicity equals synergy. The more um, systems and process that we can you know take out of the business, um, you know, the simpler it becomes, the less staff. So we had. For all of these bespoke billing systems, they had one person, you know, for each billing system who was, you know, the guy that they inherited from or the person that they inherited from some acquisition in the past that was the, the expert on that system. And if they left, you know, you wouldn't know how to drive it. Um, but there was, there was no, it, the strategy then was for, for M2 with these acquisitions seemed to me about just cut all the cost out so you can achieve the synergies that you've, you know, you told the market that you were going to achieve with an acquisition um, and then just leave it, leave it sitting there. So when I came in, there was just this collection of pieces, a collection of network, a collection of billing systems, um, which, you know, kind of did my head in the number of things that we had to do. And I was certainly focused on trying to reduce that to the smallest possible number as quickly as possible, but both in the network space um, and the billing space, it was very difficult to get buy-in from Jeff. I think post um, post me, they did get buy-in into the um, uh, the network um, project, which was called Supercore, to collapse all of the seven or so networks into one one big network. And the and the economics behind that were just so simple and obvious, um, but it still took a long time to 
to get that through because it involves spending money in order to save money. And was Jeff prepared to spend the money in your time or not prepared to spend it? I don't think Jeff ever really liked spending money. Um, before the M2 merger, um, Vocus spoke to M2 about acquiring its uh, fibre network because... Um, M2, did M2 have its own fibre network? Yeah, so this is this is interesting, John. So back when, you remember when um, Vocus bought Digital River? Yes. Um, not long, and that was the, the turning point that, that you know, made Vocus into a fibre business. Well, um, M2 had a, bought a business called iPrimus which was a consumer at business, but it had some government and enterprise in it and it had its own DSLAM network. So it was a bit more like Focus. It was a bit of an infrastructure business. Um, but they, so they bought that actually before we bought, we bought Digital River and yet they didn't do anything with that network. They left it there to service the retail base. They grew their retail base. They hung on to some of the enterprise customers, but they never built on that. And I, I just find it, striking that you know james saw a, saw a, a fiber asset and what it could deliver and and built a huge business out of it and and they left it in the corner and did nothing with it with with, with their version which was quite a lot bigger than the digital river so i remember in one of your podcasts you you, you told a bit of a story about the digital river and, and 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 jeff you know went off at you and i can't help but think that's largely because he realized that the, the, the reason it was an insult was because it makes him realize the missed opportunity he had um, you know, back then to have built a focus within within M2. But how big was his network? You know, oh, it was well. Look, I don't remember, John. Um, there was quite a number of D slams. It was a, a lot bigger than the, the than the Digital River network. I can tell you that for for nothing. Digital River was minute, seriously minute. <laughs> it was. It was tiny, and and the iPrimus network was was quite significant. But I I can't I can't remember um, how many D slams or what the footprint um, looked like. I know when we looked at purchasing it from them we weren't prepared to pay very much because the overlap with our network was considerable so what didn't have a lot of value to us and 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 hence we put in an offer for i can't remember what it was but it was low millions um possibly even one or two but that was that was rejected but i remember the commentary at the time with jeff um was that you know you could tell he just didn't understand these networks, oh, they, it costs you a fortune when somebody breaks it. It costs you a fortune to do to build into something everywhere. It was capex, 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 um, and they're a business that um, you know just resells other people's stuff. Um, so they just work on that margin. I'm a guy that can't understand that. I, I just go, how do you how do you make a business on you know twenty thirty percent you know margins reselling? I don't I don't get it. Likewise, Jeff doesn't quite get the or didn't quite get the you know building out. You know, spending a lot of money building out uh, a network that's going to last you twenty years and and making money over that, making money on that over over a long period of time. So it's just different. Um, I think I don't think he ever really got the Vocus business model or the Vocus you know fiber business model. I mean, I think the thing that I find confusing confusing about this is that when when the I was never uh, keen on the M two um, acquisition, and I made that very clear to to James. He eventually talked me around on it, the benefits, as 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 um, I'm sure you're aware that he can do that. But it it was supposedly a cash cow. That was one of the big selling points, and the other was that you know they had a lot of traffic on their network. We had a lot of network. We aspired to buy next gen. If we bought M2, we would be big enough to buy next gen, and then all of a sudden we put all of M2's traffic on next gen's network. I mean, effectively, we were buying a retail customer base. Um, and you know that really changed the economics of the the network. So 
So I saw that, but the, the bit that I didn't understand is that we went in thinking we were buying a cash cow, and then it turns out that there was this cash never, you know, there was none of, none of this cash conversion, as they say, which I, I'm still perplexed about. So Jeff was now getting me to try cut costs, etc. and you needed more people to, to get this thing finished. Was that yeah, so, so back to the people, I didn't need more people. I remember Jeff coming in and saying, Chris, you've got a team of 500. That's double what you need. And I said to you, I don't disagree, uh, Jeff. And, but that's what we needed because we had we had Cisco, Juniper, um, and others. So all of these bits of technology required people with the skill sets for those. We had old ATMD slams. We had all sorts of old technology in the network. So my view was that... There were a lot of opportunities to move services to our network. That was the 10 or $12 million that I mentioned earlier. Um, I mentioned to you previously. So we were we had to deliver 10 to $12 million worth of um, network synergies. We were about $6.5 million the way through that uh, when I had a conversation with Jeff about staffing. So I thought we were doing brilliantly. And that, and all of these technology changes that we were doing, we were ripping ATM out of the out of the network. So then we wouldn't have to maintain this team of people that looked after the ATM network. So my view was, you use the people you've got. I didn't ask for more people. I, I said I can do it with the people that we've got. Integrate all of the um, the, the networks, the billing systems, the everything. And then when you're done with that process, you can actually get rid of a huge number of people because they then are genuinely surplus to requirements. Um, but because of, you know, meeting market expectations, there was just this real push to, you know, get rid of some staff now so that, you know, we could deliver on the numbers. Um, and I just felt that was a really counterproductive approach. Although and, I understand why. And then I see that your, your, your technology, I'm looking at the technology organization chart, which you headed, had, you had eight direct reports. That's, that's yep. really, really a lot for a, a single individual. Could they were all very good. Um, it, it 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 is a lot, but they were they were exceptional people. I'm can't can't sure I'm can't quite remember eight, but um, yeah. I look, I did have I did have great people that just made um, you know you know my my job that much that much easier. Yeah, I, I could not have done it with those without that team. Right. So when I hear. Um, you know, Vocus talked about it was, you know, they, they talk about this disaster of integration and there's lots of things that needed integrating, but the technology stack was was one of them and, and it wasn't going perfectly, but I think we had uh, the right objectives. We were, we, were, we, were, we were going reasonably well. We had a team that could execute on it. Um, and so I, you know, yeah, I feel, I feel um, you know, disappointed with the way that, you know, the Vocus has kind of been, been portrayed. And remember when when things coming to sort of was the end, and and there were sort of issues. Um, you didn't like the deal, says so you sold the IRU, and to Superloop, and you were pretty vocal, vociferous in your. This would, this would be the deal that got me fired, pretty and, much. Yeah. Yeah, and and tell me why you think that's the deal that got you fired. Well, as you would know, John Vocus had a culture of, um, you know, challenging. Everything. I remember you in board meetings regularly challenging Mark, uh, sorry James and uh, Rick, and but it was it was all in the interests of um, getting to the right result, and we were like that at our executive level, and that's the way we were brought up in that that business. And so, you know, I've had so many robust uh, conversations with James 
but it's not put a single dent in you know our relationship at all it's just the expected behavior but when I behave like that with Jeff he took it as a personal insult and and like you John I can be a bit direct and a bit blunt so I saw this deal that I knew had been kicking about um and we needed we needed a big sale and the problem here was that Jeff thought that he could get this sale and book all the revenue up front and early on in the process I told him IRUs don't work like that we've we've you know I've done been in focus a while we've tried this before we've wanted to do the same thing the accounting rules don't let you do it and and Jeff was well you're not an accountant I'm getting accounting advice on that and between and then he went out to the market and up up down numbers and then he found out that he couldn't book this revenue and he had a problem on his hands because he, the accountants eventually told him what I told him um but the real problem with that deal was that we were kind of giving away the crown jewels for what what I thought was a fairly low price that was part of the problem but the other problem was it was quite vague it said that a superloop could had a certain amount of net bandwidth and they could have that delivered at any any amount delivered at any uh, at any of our points of of interconnect any any on net building and that's crazy because a lot of places that are on net in our network particularly in the next gen network are not capable of delivering small amounts of bandwidth this is a very big backhaul network that's designed to carry you know, in my day, 10 and 100 gigabit waves, I read in the paper now they're doing 400 plus uh, gigabit waves. If you wanted to bring out 100 megs at a location, you would have to buy a router with a 10 gig interface, can, grab one of your 10 gig waves, which would consume all of that 10 gig capacity on the backhaul. Um, and then, you know, just to break out 100 megs, you'd be spending thousands and thousands to give the, the Superloop a small service in a regional town. Um, fortunately, Jeff kind of got mad at me with the whole thing and flipped it all to Mick Simmons. And Mick Simmons actually listened to what I had to say and went and adjusted the contract with, with Superloop. So there were, there were some minimum size orders that they could place and so forth. Because otherwise, um, this, had a, this deal had a known amount of income, but an unknown amount of cost. And all of that cost was going to be, all of the income was going to end up in um, corporate and, and government, but all of the cost was going to end up in the technology business as as capex, um, and it could have the, the 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 cost to deliver could have been more than the cost of the of the service, which was obviously a, a crazy place to be. But fortunately, Mick Simmons, um, you know, took on board my comments and um, <clears throat> improved the deal. But I still thought it was way too good a deal to be doing. Why did they get you? Do you think that, that that caused a rift in your relationship between you and Jeff? Oh uh, yeah, Jeff um, took my comments as just a insult. You know, you know because you know I said that there were problems with the agreement. You know, to to him, all he heard is you've done a terrible, terrible deal. It, it just all reflected on on him in his eyes. Well, that's the way I saw it, but. Um, yeah, our relationship was never great, but it was pretty much terminal after that. Um, well, I think one of the problems was when the two businesses came together, um, as you know, Denise has said earlier, people had to some people had to interview for their jobs. So Mark and Denise had to interview for their for their jobs against the M two people to see who was going to be retained. But James pretty much parachuted me in because at that time I was deputy CEO of of Vocus. I wasn't just in a head of head of technology. <clears throat> um, 
and James parachuted me into the um, the technology role. So Jeff never got a chance to choose his guy, right? Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that that was that got me off on the wrong foot right from the beginning. And the funny thing was that one of the reasons that I had influence at Vocus was that James and Mark both thought, sorry, James and Rick both thought I was a pretty safe hands in, in terms of CapEx approvals um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tight. I don't give away money easily. Um, but by the time we'd done all these mergers and acquisitions and we had different network of different ages, I then got to the point of, you know what, we actually need to spend some money on this network now to build a new network that will replace them all. And it will save us for every one of those seven core networks with routers in every capital city, like the routers that cost, you know, three or $400,000 each, and you need a pair of them in each capital city. I mean, it's big money. Um, they will all have to be replaced. So I wanted to spend some money on putting in some newer routers that would eliminate the need to replace all of that when they came up. To the, to the end of their useful life. Um, so I was seen as this guy that was going to ju just, yeah, spend, spend too much money. I think that was Jeff's fear is that I was just going to be blowing his CapEx budget. And look, I'm a business person. I know how to work within the budgets that I've set most of my life. I've been in small business where I haven't had the luxury of, 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 um, of big budgets. And I know you don't just, you don't spend money on anything you don't need. So I think I'm very budget disciplined. Rick and James um, thought I thought I was. I think um, I think Jeff thought I was going to be pretty loose. So then I come to they then decide they're going to try to form a technology committee. And if I can just if I can just read um, my notes from the time, it says we have been conducting a review of technology and how we approach our strategic transformation program as a result of concerns relating to the volume of work lack of prioritization, significant costs in OPEX and CAPEX and limited progress with respect to delivering on critical project objectives. So give us some color around that statement. Oh, look, I've, it's uh, very, very difficult. I mean, I think uh, in terms of uh, timing, things were taking longer, but in what project, you know, this type of project, they always take longer, but you know, I didn't, I didn't hire more people. Um, uh, yeah, and, and capex, opex. I, I don't know. I don't really know what's being referred to there. We were, we were pretty much um, working what we had with respect to delivering on critical project objectives. So they don't feel you were delivering on, on on your objectives. Is that right? Is that a fair statement? Well, I, I think um, in terms of the focus one, yes, you could say that was you know behind, but I wouldn't say critically behind. Um, in terms of the technology network, I think we were well and truly, we were mostly focused on delivering synergies because that's what we knew Jeff really cared about, but we were working steadily in the background around a new plan for the network, which as a board member, you would have seen the Supercore uh, project, no doubt. Um, and that um, that then was uh, moved on after I after I left. But you know, all of these things don't happen overnight. There's a great deal of planning and thought that that goes into them. And at Vocus, we like to move quickly, and I think we moved pretty quickly on that Supercore project. And I would add that that was very much a collaborative effort between the technology people from you know all of the acquired businesses were behind that. It was actually led by an M2 guy, but it really had the support of of most people in the in the business. 
Listen, then it goes on to say that um, that that you're not experienced enough to find your way through the issues at the speed or pace required by focus, which I find a very unusual statement. Yeah, look, I guess from Jeff's point of view, he's probably looking at my CV and going, well, I've, I've run a bunch of small businesses. You know, I've had, um, you know, I had an ISP business back in the day and then I had my, um, my peer business, which should have, you know, peaked at like 50 people. And now I'm in this business um with 500 people and i wouldn't deny that since coming into vocus every six months it was a big it was a big stretch i mean when i went i came into from ipira to 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 working within vocus and it was it was a big change but i quickly adapted when we came up to amcom my head was spinning it was a big change but i adapted and each time i had fantastic people you know around me and being supportive <clears throat> but when it came to the m2 acquisition there was more tension there because the people weren't on the same page the focus people wanted to do what they did and the m2 people wanted to do what they did and nobody really i mean you know they 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 you know kept it to their offices in melbourne and we kept to our offices in sydney and you know that the interaction was was certainly poor at least at a um senior level but jeff couldn't you have fixed that was it not up to you to do that? To well, so that's not up to me. That was a, that was a broader thing. I think that needs to be led from the top. But, so, so, but the only person above you really was Jeff. Correct. Yeah. Are you saying this would this this had to be led by Jeff, not by you? Well, I think you know any organizational culture needs to be you know led from from the CEO and. I guess both organizations had a culture. One worked with Jeff because that's what, what they were used to, and one was very different to Jeff's style. So all of those people were, you know, bumping up against it all the time. And 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 then and then there was also talk about loss of confidence amongst your peers and your staff. Is, did you ever feel that? Because I I certainly didn't didn't it was all still very much news to me, taken aback at the time. No, no, that's 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 nonsense. I mean, all of those. Most of those direct reports I have are still people I talk to from time to time. I absolutely have their, their support. They always had my back. Um, none of them were wanting my job or anything like that. We, we just had a great group of, um, of people. That, that certainly in terms of my you know, subordinates, no issue. In terms of my peers, my bogus peers, I don't think there's any issue at all. I think I always had the support of... like. An, Plenty of things Matt and I don't see eye to eye on, but we all we you know um, get along really well, and you know I think I provided what he needs when he needs it. Um, when it comes to the M two staff, well, yeah, look, I um, I didn't have to do a lot for them because the M two staff people like Scott Carter dealt with. Um, people like Marcus McKenzie on my team in relation to their billing systems. I mean, the M2 side of things stayed almost a level, the M2 consumer stuff almost stayed a, a level underneath me. They were pushing this big Salesforce project, which I was not in a fan of. Um, it wasn't just Salesforce. It was, um, uh, it was a complete overhaul of the um, of the CRM and, um, and and phone systems for the retail business, which... You know, I wasn't I wasn't a fan on a fan of I, I could I could just see huge potential for for cost blowouts. Um, we'd done some work with Salesforce in the past. I mean, it's great, but you 
you know, you really need to know what you're doing with this. And the implementation project, I don't know, it just had um, expense, uh, cost runaway written all over from my point of view. Chris, um, there was some talk about your health at the time. Is that, uh, was there any issues there? There, there was. Um, so I can't remember exactly where it was, but sometime not far into the M2 um, process, I got shingles and I thought I was, you know, doing relatively well. I think the stress was that with working with James was easy. Working with Jeff was hard. Um, and I think that's, there wasn't the work that was the problem. It was that relationship that was the problem. You know, you've got great working relationship with, with um, James and I had you pegged as the CEO to replace Jeff. And maybe, and sometimes I felt, you know, at that time that maybe I was pushing for you and maybe I had inadvertently played some part in your leaving because I really said, you know, we have a CEO who would be fantastic for the role, which was you. No, I, I, I yeah, look, I, I, I was definitely not suited for that role. I didn't have the, the accounting and, and numeracy skills that, at the level that were that were required. I, I would have said my pick for CEO was always Mark Callender. I mean, he's an exceptional um, individual um, who was running running New Zealand, um, and 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 of course now now he's um, yeah r r running things in New Zealand, but he he was just had this depth of understanding across all aspects of the business. So he was accounting-wise, super proficient, understood the retail business, understood the enterprise business. Um, he would have been just the, the perfect guy to be to be running this business, in in, in my view. Um, because un unlike James, he wasn't, I think, afraid of the scale of the organisation. And um, then they gave you, then, then they gave you, they wanted to give you, and take you out of this role that you were in and give you a new sort of role, a sort of side role. Yeah, what's that about? I just wanted me out of the way. Um, uh, like he said, he recognised that I had value to add, but but not in that role. Obviously, I was in, insulted by that. I'm a guy. I don't. I didn't need the job. Like I don't need the money. So no, you sold um, your business. I, I remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks to focus, I don't need the money. Um, and so you know, I just wasn't interested in in doing that. And to be honest, I the real reason was I wasn't the best person for that job. There were I would have actually displaced other people that would have been better at it. Um, you didn't so want the side didn't... role they were offering you? No, no. So let's go back to, to M2. And, and Rhoda set up this uh, transformation committee with herself as head. How did that work out? Well, I believe that was after uh, I left. Um, well, I'm not sure what was happening at the board level, but certainly after I left, um, Rhoda appointed somebody into my role that was somebody that she had worked with um, in the past. Um, I believe that didn't last that long, and I believe there are a few people through my position um, after that. But look, after I left, I became a bit disinterested. What was your interaction with Rhoda? Um, look, I didn't have many conversations with Rhoda. Um, I mean, she asked to speak to me um, Obviously, I would see her in board meetings, but outside of board meetings, not many, very few one-on-ones. She did uh, at the, the, the time that um, uh, Jeff advised me that he wanted to move me sideways into this other role. She did come and have a talk to me while I was at a Cisco conference, um, and uh, yeah, it was a strange, strange com uh, conversation that I probably prefer not to to go into, but. Um, 
somehow somehow it it it, it diverged. She was asking a lot about my personal upbringing and so forth, and it, it um and my mother had recently died, and that came up, and I got upset, and you know it was it was just I look back on it and realized that I told her a lot of very personal stuff that was then subsequently, you know, kind of used against me in terms of not being, not being up for the job. And, and that had nothing to do with your job. It was just a period of your life that, that, yeah. that happens. I mean, people. Oh, look, I, I, I felt that um, I was, I, I was having a, a good crack at a really difficult job. And uh, if left to it, we would have got where we needed to go. And so as you know, John, I, I love that business. I, it was just, it's when you sell your own business, it's your own baby. And Vocus, James allowed me to make Vocus my baby as well. Like I really felt it was an integral part of, of me and, and walking away from it was was extremely difficult. And I'm glad to see now that it, it's it's gone private and it's got some smart operators, um, you know, running it. You know, I was a bit shocked to see it get full of Telstra people, but look, they seem to be doing a great job. There's a brilliant asset there. It's a good business, and they seem to be getting it to where it, it needs to be. So, um, you know, that's I, I take um, heart from that. No, I I think um, look overall, it was it was a fantastic working a, a journey. It's it's a it's a pity that we were so kind of influenced by bankers telling us M and A deals that we have to do to be bigger to do other things. And I think we 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 sort of you know rushed into a deal that. You know, I never thought made sense, but as soon as somebody mentioned, well, M2 gets us to next gen, I kind of overlooked all the problems that I saw with M2. Um, and so I was never, never, never keen on it, but persuaded by the argument ultimately. Um, but yeah, we all know how it worked out. Tell me something, did M2 migrate all its customers onto our network? No CVC charges. It's using our network as opposed to where the costs land in our books, right? So those CVC charges, yes, they were coming in on um, uh, yeah, M2 infrastructure, but landing in my accounts, yes. not where they should have been in, um, in a retail accounts. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, a massive con. And look, I, you know, that retail business. It's it's funny. We all and Vocus think that the retail business doesn't make any sense at all, and and the people on the M two side, you know, couldn't understand our business and didn't think it made any sense at all, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware. So, Chris, that has been a fantastic interview, and I want to thank you so much for the time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, John. Bye. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.